Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led His people into the Promised Land. Though they continued to display a lack of faith in God, He remained faithful to the promise He made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. Good evening and welcome you back to your seats. All right, here we go. Joshua chapter 8. Things are going to be picking up tonight. (laughs) Very grateful for that. And as you make your way to Joshua 8, I'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we always like to acknowledge your presence here among us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to to understand your word. It's living and breathing and active and sharp, and it can do a, a great work in our hearts tonight. I know you have something to say to me and to everybody gathered here tonight. So give us ears to hear your wonderful word. We're in it. It brings life. In Jesus' name, amen. I love comeback stories. And here's a good one most of you have heard about. Bethany Hamilton was born into a surfing family on Kauai. Most of you know the story. She competed in her first competition when she was eight. Even at eight, she had this natural gift and feel for surfing. Her dream was to go pro someday, and she was certainly on her way to doing just that. But then one fateful morning, October 31st, 2003, when she was just 13 years old, tragedy struck every surfer's nightmare, an ominous dark shadow approached in the water and then a devastating jolt. A 14-foot tiger shark struck as she was surfing at the local spot with a couple friends and their dad. Bethany had her arm dangling in the sea from the board and the shark came up and severed it from the shoulder. Um, She lost 60% of her blood, quick thinking, and the dad was present there, and a tourniquet was applied, and the grace of God um, saved Bethany's life. Though her life was saved, though her, her dream of becoming a professional surfer was over, or so people thought, um, to everyone's surprise, even though both arms are really essential for balance and equilibrium, uh, Bethany was back in the water a month later, still hoping to turn pro one day. A little more than a year after losing her arm, she shocked everyone by winning a national title in front of a large California crowd. She's gone on to win major competitions and speaks all over the world about overcoming tragedy through faith in Jesus Christ that awesome? All right, thank you for that uh, that visual there. Well, uh, you know, after something like that, speaking for myself, I wouldn't even venture into a kiddie pool 
you know, I would move to Ohio, where, where there are no sharks at all. I mean, seriously, it's hard uh, to imagine getting back in the water after something like that. Now, tonight, we are going to be talking about experiencing setbacks, personal or financial or whatever, and it's very challenging after a setback or a devastating disappointment where there's been great fear or great pain or loss or humiliation to get back into the game. And tonight, Joshua 8 follows Joshua 7. There's a humiliating, painful, traumatic defeat of Israel's armies, 36 lives were lost. It was just a terrible chapter because of Israel's own sinfulness. And really the question tonight, the template I'd like to lay over Joshua chapter 8 is what should we do when we're defeated, either by an outside source or by our own sin? You know, it takes a lot of courage to get back into the game And that's really the point of Joshua 8, how to bounce back after defeat. So if you've had a defeat in your life, which I know most of you have not, apparently, but if if you have, you will appreciate the truths that are found here in Joshua 8. So just a recap of Joshua 7, so some of you missed Joshua 7, Uh, Joshua's second in command along with the Jewish soldiers, really could tell us a lot about that feeling of having a setback. Really, in the wake of their biggest victory yet, of Jericho comes this crushing defeat in city number two, which is called I, it's A-I. And in prayerless presumption, Joshua sends 3,000 soldiers into I, and really uh, not seeking the Lord, no prayerful consideration and no discernment, um, really, for God to guide them. And uh, the divine guidance was certainly missing. And greedy Achan had stolen some items. He called it plunder, but the Lord called it devoted to him. It was not Achan's to Take. Therefore, he stole from the Lord. In doing so, he violated a stipulation that the Lord had for their success. He said, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. So that, that was the clear warning, and we all saw last time what happened when that was disregarded. Uh, no one was going to go forward until Israel was now consecrated, and Achan, the guilty party, was isolated and confessed. Even though it was a forced confession, he never really repented. It had to be drugged out of him, and the sin really had to be dealt with or nobody was going forward. And it was really a sad setback indeed. Uh, Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, one of my favorite lines in the Bible. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. A very bad trade for Achan and his family that perhaps followed him into that sin. And so while the fast and furious judgment was executed on the guilty ones, uh, Joshua and Israel were really shaken, and they're licking their wounds, and they're fearful, they're anxious, they're insecure. They've had uh, a shark attack, really, 
And But now it's time to get back into the water, to get back into the fight. I love Proverbs twenty four sixteen, that says, Those who are right with God may fall seven times, yet they rise again, but the wicked are brought, brought down by the calamity. And so, really, that's indicative of God's people is that not that we never fall, but that we get up. I really like this quote here before we dive in to our text, the famous British preacher, Robertson, from the 1800s. He said, life like war is a series of mistakes, and the best Christian or the best general is not the one with fewest false steps. Mediocrity may keep us from error, but he is the best who wins the most splendid victories by the turnaround of mistakes. Forget mistakes. Organize victories out of them. In other words, turn your uh, disasters into victories by the following, Joshua chapter 8. So let's look at the chapter with that in mind, how to, as the Old English said, organize victories out of past mistakes. You ready to do that? Amen? There you are. All right. Joshua 8, 1 and 2, just to start with. Then the Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I. For I have delivered into your hands the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to I and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So we'll pause there if you're taking notes. And if we're going to be true to our template question, how to turn mistakes into victory, I would say number one would be let God encourage you. Let God encourage encourage you after some kind of disappointment or devastation, we need to open our hearts and let God comfort us. Nothing sucks the wind out of one's sails like the belief that God is against us or that we somehow miss God's will and that he's no longer working on our behalf. And so I believe Joshua and the guys could really be thinking that after what just went down. The Hebrew says once again, and I believe it's 35 times in the book of Joshua, do not be afraid. He says, do not be kathoth in the Hebrew, which means shattered, broken, dismantled, or undone. He also says, and do not be yareh in the Hebrew, terrified, astonished or beside yourself in fear. Do not be that way. So God is for his people. He's for Joshua. He has fallen, but he is going to get up now. And as God's first recorded words to him now, he's saying, hey, don't be shattered about this. Uh, Don't be terrified because I'm with you. Now, remember, his words originally to Josh were, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I will never leave you or forsake you. So he's 
got to encourage himself in the Lord after seeing what a stupid thing he did and how costly it was. Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. So Josh is probably feeling like maybe this hideous, bloody, humbling setback was already factored into God's sovereign plan and now will be used for good. It's time for, as the psalm just said, the Lord upholds him with his hand. In other words, he grabs us up in his arms and he holds us tenderly after those kinds of situations if we allow that to happen. The the downside of free will that God has given each person in this room is that I have a choice, you have a choice, whether you are going to let God comfort you and encourage you after a wipeout, after something that's traumatic or tragic or hurtful, if you're going to be open to letting God come in and do some healing and some work and some speaking to you of peace and hope and optimism in him. And so, you know, obviously he, he's in listening posture because it says, and the Lord said to him, and he's telling us, writing here, what he said to him. Because now he's done uh, with the pitying. He's done. He's open. He's listening. He's in a good place. You know, we have a choice, as I've been saying. We have options. After a mishap, we shut down. Uh, We isolate. We get guilt-ridden. We get angry. We beat ourselves up. We go over and over and over again. We give up on the dream, or we second-guess ourselves or other people. But we must, if you want to go forward after a wipeout, you got to cooperate with God. Immaturity turns away from God after disappointment. Maturity draws near to him in quietness of heart and trust. And so you can refuse the hand that comes down to help you. You can be inconsolable, you know. Can you hear the devil speak and rage into Bethany's consciousness? No arm. You're a Christian. Where was Psalm 91 when this was happening? Out of all the sharks in the ocean and all the surfers. Why you? Now you're missing an arm. The love of God. How are you ever going to trust him? Don't you doubt for a second that all of those things went through that young girl's mind. But she let God encourage her. Not like the patriarch, Jacob. When facing... um, a tragedy, or really a supposed tragedy. You remember when the jealous brothers dumped Joseph into a little well, left him there to die. They took his beloved uh, coat of many colors, and they dipped it in some goat's blood, and they brought it to dad, Jacob, and said, check this out. Is this Joseph's robe? We found it torn to shreds and bloody. 
And this is his response. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Did you hear that? He said, no, I refuse to be comforted. The Holy Spirit saying, Jacob, if you would just come to me and open up your heart, I would make sense of this. I would whisper into your heart, he's not really dead. Or, you know, I'm going to work something. I got something up my sleeve on this one. Oh, just trust me, because this story, Genesis, is not over yet. But he didn't. He said, oh, no, the hand came down to comfort And the hand was like, I'm ticked, God. How could you let my favorite die? Well, he wasn't dead. And he wasted all of that. And he pushed it away, just like many of us do here. We get our feelings hurt or whatever it is, and then boom. God can't get a hold of us anymore. And if you're not able to be consoled, you will not be able to be taught. If you stop right there, you're in a rut. Forget about it. You're just, you're shelved because God can't get through to you because you won't let him console you. So Joshua's going to take a a different tack. Uh, He's open. He's listening. He's quiet. He's willing to stay in the game and not take matters into his own hands. Uh, He's going to take God at his word. And the lights are going to come on. You know, when God says, look, I know how it seems, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm in this. I'm going to work this for good. The mature Christian says, thank you. I'm going to take you at your word. And not spend another second bemoaning what you can't change anyway and trusting that God, who's been faithful to you in the past, will be presently as faithful. So step one, Joshua let God encourage him. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Second Corinthians chapter 1. I can't get past verse 1 right there. I mean, don't be afraid after all of that. Don't be discouraged because I've got a good plan. And so we see in order for failure to become the foundation for great things in the future, he was encouraged by the Lord, and next he was instructed by the Lord. Number two. All right, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path, and doing things God's way is the first step, of course, to assure that mistakes can be turned around into something wonderful, hearing God's word. And so, but this time the Lord is going to mix it up here as we go on. You're going to see that battle number two is going to be very different from battle number one. He's going to set an ambush. He wants Israel to ambush them at night. So let's go from 3 to 13. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men this time and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will all flee from them. 
They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say, they are running away from us just like before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from the ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it to your, into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire, do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with the people early the next morning. Joshua mustered his men, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. They had the soldiers take up their positions, all those in the camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night, Joshua went into the valley. All right, so here we've got God has a plan. It's not yesterday's plan and it's not tomorrow's plan, but it's today's plan and knowing and obeying it is going to make all the difference in the world. So folks, we've got a new strategy for a new battle. It's a different day. The circumstances are changed. And so we need to see, as God is instructing them, they need a word fresh delivered that day for the new dawn. And so, like us, we need daily living fresh words from God. Um, God really gave us a beautiful picture of us being dependent on, on a fresh word and season from him every morning. And that is with that wonderful manna, the bread from heaven in the wilderness. And you all remember uh, what God said. He said, look, I'm going to feed your souls. I'm going to take care of your bodies with this bread from heaven. You can get it every morning, gather as much as you want, but make sure you, you use it all day long because don't keep it until the next day, because you've got fresh bread to get in the morning, fresh manna. And so, of course, they didn't always want to get up in the morning and do the extra work when they had some manna from the day before. But God said, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. I'm painting a picture of how you must have a living, fresh, daily word from me every single day. You must walk with me. Yesterday's grace isn't going to help you today. What I said to you yesterday may change totally today. Yesterday I said, wait, today I'm going to say go, or just vice versa. You need a fresh vision and presence of the Lord in your life. Well, you know, they thought they were going to pull a fast one, and so they tried to use the manna from the previous day. And Exodus 16, verse 20 says that it was full of maggots and began to smell. Now, listen, that just showcases our real dependence on God. You just can't get by with what God was doing in your life yesterday. You know, I got this thing about never preaching a sermon twice. I never have in 30 years. I've never preached the same sermon twice. You can go hunt around. You'll never find one like that. Uh, I did a verse-by-verse -verse study 
and teaching of the book of James in Romania right before we started the book of James here. I haven't opened the book. I did verse by verse of Monday through Friday to the Bible College in Romania, all on the book of James with quotes and like I do on a Sunday morning. I've got the book right by my desk. I don't bother with it. I don't open it. I don't look at it because it makes no sense to me for this morning, for our Sunday morning with you. It's a different day. There's different people. You speak a different language. God is doing different things. You know, I can go 10 different ways with Joshua 8. I really can. And I've seen it done in eight different ways, 10 different ways. But you got to sit down and hear what the Holy Spirit is saying and how he's prompting you in all of these ways. Or you're going to get smelly. You're going to get smelly, stale maggots, you know. I've been to churches, unfortunately, where I feel like, yuck. Man, it just is stale. It doesn't, it's nice, very nice. It just doesn't, it's not alive. It's not talking to me. It's a very nice presentation. Very good. It was very accurately exposited and that's it. it it didn't speak to me because it wasn't fresh and uh in my humble opinion anyway sometimes not always but anyway moving on <laughs> so that that's a really important thing is, is just to hear what he's saying warren wearsby said not only is god the god of new beginnings god is a God of infinite variety. King Arthur said this, Warren is quoting him, and God fulfills himself in many ways, lest one good custom corrupt the world, meaning this, God changes his methods lest we start depending on our experience and formulas rather than his living presence in our hearts and lives. And so we have to be careful about that. So yesterday it was March in broad daylight, seven times around the city. Today it's nighttime in silence. Yesterday it was priests out in front blowing the trumpets. Today it's just soldiers, no sound. Yesterday it was take no plunder, hands off the stuff. And today it's going to be whatever you'd like you may take as plunder for yourself. Too bad, Achan couldn't wait one more day because he could have taken with God's blessing all the treasure he could hold. You see, but he did it his way. And when we do things our own way, it often doesn't pay very well. And so turning disaster into victory, I'm going to say, let God encourage you. Number two, let God instruct you fresh, daily, every day. And then thirdly, get back in the water. Now, he's going to tell them to go back to I, and we're going to read real quick or summarize what they ended up doing. Now, you know, can you hear Joshua saying, come on, we just got routed there. That's the place. That's the place the tiger shark was. You want me to surf on? I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit was leading Bethany Hamilton out. But for a matter of making an analogy, 
that God often says, you've fallen off this horse. We don't want anything to do with horses anymore for the rest of our lives, right? And so instead of allowing us to get this neurotic thing, a lifelong neurotic thing about horses, God says, in this case, you're going to have to get up and get back on that horse so that you don't avoid horses the rest of your life or you do something uh, that silly to get around it or to avoid it. And that's how we usually do. So he says, no, no, no. You're going back to I. This time you're going to do it right. You're going to listen better. You're going to obey better. And we're going to make some changes. It's going to work. So for you military types, here's what they wanted to do. Uh, Here's what they ended up doing. 30,000 soldiers set up behind the city, west of it. And then that's in verses 3 and 3 to 9. And then in verses, verse 12, there's 5,000 troops between Ai and Bethel to prevent maybe troops from Bethel coming and attacking. So from the north, Joshua leads the remaining army to a frontal attack. All right? So check this out. Then they get seen by the bad boy army. And the bad boy army says, there they are, those losers again. Let's chase them down. And these, the, Joshua and the guys are like, they stop. And then they back up and they run and they lure them out. There are 30,000 troops behind the city waiting for all the army to leave. And they do in self-confidence and overconfidence. They leave the city open, wide open. And as soon as those Uh, men are all out, the city's open, there are no soldiers left, the 30,000 come in and and torch the city, and when Joshua sees the smoke, they stop running and they turn on them. Now, the Canaanites, the wicked, pagan, God-resisting, devil-worshipping Canaanites are stuck in between the army of Israel on one side and the army of Israel on the other. That's exactly what happened there. Now, no misplaced sympathy for an evil society that had resisted God's truth and grace for centuries. Okay, let's finish up. 14 to the end, and we're done. Now, when the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking Arabah, but he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israelites let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled toward the desert. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go up after Israel. They left the city open. And went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward I the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin toward I, 
As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their positions and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising against the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction for the Israelites who had been fleeing toward the desert had turned back against them toward their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that smoke was going up from the city, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. The men, the men of the ambush also came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the middle with the Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives, but they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua when, when Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the desert where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. Twelve thousand men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out the javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of the city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, which is what Ai means, a desolate place to this day. He hung the king of Ai on a tree and left him there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take his body from the, I'm missing my text here, tree, and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate, and they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remain to this day. Well, hmm. It will not go well for anyone who rebels against the Lord. That's my first thing to say, is is that it is just devastating to see how serious life is how awful sin is and how heinous of a situation men and women find themselves in this life, especially when they uh, fight against the will of the Lord. Now, so last point, if you're taking notes, number four, turn your failures into success by being ruthless with the enemy. Now, we talk about spiritual enemies because that's who our enemies really are. The world, the flesh, our own human nature, our own sinfulness, and the devil and his demons. We need to be uh, not compromising and show no mercy. And where we are compromising, that's always our downfall. I want to reaffirm some things. Whenever we talk about the destruction of an entire city, I need to just go back over a few things. Uh, Our new believers here hear these kinds of things, and they're a little disconcerted. You know, let me say, number one, God is patient. God gave these folks 400 years, Genesis 15, 400 years to respond. The Bible says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, He's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's who God is. And that's why he gave these wicked people 
400 years to repent. Number two, so number one, God is patient. Number two, God is merciful. Now, anybody who wanted to repent could repent, like Rahab in Joshua 2. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is not willing that any perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth and repent and be saved. God takes delight in nobody's demise. So God is patient. God is merciful. And number three, God is holy. These people were wicked to the core. If you want to read about how wicked they were, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. We've talked about this many times, throwing their kids into fire, sacrificing them, having the most sexual immorality of all of the Old Testament peoples, turning it into a religion. It was just awful. And God's judgment had come down, and he used the army this isn't Israel capriciously uh, go, sweeping through the Middle East and finding a home for themselves. This is God's sword upon uh, peoples who he is judging after 400 years. And so, furthermore, number four, God is just. Isaiah thirteen eleven. he says, I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. And so there you have it there. God is just. And so when men and women provoke God, that's just and God's judgment falls, everybody suffers. And as we've talked about this before, back in the day of the flood, everybody suffered. Men, women, and children. Back in the day of uh, Sodom, fire fell. There were women and children there. Uh, when the Israel was exiled into captivity, when Jerusalem fell, and then in, with the Great Tribulation, there's going to be that kind of terror again. But God promises better things for those who believe. And lastly, just the reaffirmation that God would rather save them than destroy them. I love Romans chapter 6 or chapter 5. Very rarely will anybody dare die for, uh, die for a righteous man, though for a good man somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So mercy triumphs over judgment that Jesus is going to go to the cross for people like those Canaanites. And I love Ezekiel chapter 33 that I bring up all the time. Whenever Israel goes in and there's this kind of carnage that he says, I, the Lord, I do not delight in the death of the wicked. And he says, I would rather that they turn from their wicked ways and live. And so really with those understandings about who God is, we can look at these things and just say, you know, there but the grace of God go I. I'm so thankful that God's, I have God's uh, shield around me in that through the blood of Jesus. And so back at the ranch, so just finishing up, I is overconfident, the picture of the wicked, they go to their dying breath, shaking their fist at God. One person told me once when I was sharing with them, I said, you know, you're about, you're in your 80s. You're, I was in a hospital room with him, and I said, you're in ICU. 
now's not a really good time for you to be shaking your fist at God. And he said, just wait until I see him. I'm going to tell him exactly what I think of him. The, these are the kinds of people that God was dealing with. And they're really just a picture of those who um, harden their hearts. Uh, and then finally, Joshua's confidence is in God. He holds that spear up that just kind of symbolic that it's God's work and God's power that's bringing them the victory. So the team bad boys really are stuck in a vice grip. They're destroyed. The city is sacked. Uh, plunder is taken. And the king is brought alive and executed and then really dishonored in a humiliating way. This, the writers say, kind of prefigures the devil in that the king of I, the king of wickedness, is really the devil. And, uh, you know, there's a passage in Isaiah 14 that says, those who see you stare at you, they ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? See, God is going to expose him and people are going to look at him and say, are you kidding me? That's the being that plunged the world into darkness and caused so much devastation? After God gets through with him, I mean, it's going to be like the king of I. It's going to be like, are you kidding me? It was just, just this, this being there, so weak and vulnerable because of God's power. So let me give you a reflections. Turning your defeat into something victorious, number one. Let God encourage you. Forget what's behind and press forward to what God has ahead for you. Don't push away the hand that's come to hold you. If you're not consolable, you're not teachable. And if you're not teachable, as I said before, you won't be moving forward. Number two, let the Lord instruct you. Go to him daily. Quiet your heart and listen. Let God lead you in new and fresh ways every day. Let his word speak to your heart. He's got something to say to you about tomorrow. And he'll gladly tell you all about it tomorrow. Not tonight. <laughs> Don't you hate that? That's in hoping that you will get out of bed tomorrow and realize yesterday's gone. I don't live by yesterday's God. I live today in relationship. That's why religion doesn't work. Religion doesn't work because it's not alive. It's always the same. But God has a life plan for us. Number three, be willing to get back in the water. Places where we've failed or been hurt are places we tend to run from or avoid. If God presses the fast forward button, hallelujah. If not, suck it up in him and get back in the water. He'll teach you how to surf one armed better than with two. And lastly, number four, go on the offensive. Get angry. Hold no prisoners. Tolerate no compromise. Be ruthless with your sin, with temptation. Murder your darling sins, or they will murder you. And the Canaanites prefigure our darling sins. That is why they are, cannot let one survive. Because they're a type of Satan. They're a type of sinful nature. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, thank you for Joshua 8. Thank you, even though it's got its gruesome parts, gruesome reality is that at the second coming, though we shall be saved and be rejoicing and have a marriage supper of the Lamb with great honor and power and glory and thanksgiving, and grace and goodness and kindness and love. There's another story for those who stand apart from you that shake their fists at God and are faithless and evil and perverse and self-absorbed. So help us, Father, just be realists to understand it's not pie in the sky. Eternity's a long time and souls are at stake. Help us to do our part in impacting others that they might turn from their sins and their wicked ways and live be forgiven by the blood of the Lamb shed on their behalf. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 